Hi, it's Beth. Happy first Tuesday of March. Welcome to this episode with Sarah Bilger. She certainly has a unique story and has turned her pain into purpose with creating the Entering Motherhood community. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome to another Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I'm happy to welcome Sarah to the show. I originally thought I had met Sarah in a coaching program that I did this fall, but turns out she's in that program now, and we actually met through a mutual podcast group on Facebook. So, But we have lots of other connections we've made. She's from PA and now lives in South Carolina. I now live in PA, but I moved here from South Carolina. And we both have done this hot chocolate run here in Philly, actually at the same year. We were both there together, we just discovered. So small world that always turns out to be. Um, and Sarah, at the end too, uh, uh, Sarah's gonna share her story. I'll do some, some questions. And then we're gonna also let Sarah share some of the information about the wonderful group that she's started that will serve a lot of women as well. So I'm gonna turn it over to Sarah. Thank you for being here. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You know, this is such a, uh, like you said, like we're in this, in this group, uh, unchosen, but, um, I think what you're doing is wonderful and I'm going to go ahead and, and share my story and we'll see how, see how this goes. Sure. All right. So I have been a motherless daughter for over 20 years now. And honestly, that just sounds so crazy to even say. I was nine years old when I lost my mom and she had been diagnosed with gallbladder cancer. I remember sitting on my parents' bed and having a conversation that went along the lines of, you know, mommy is very sick. We have doctors helping us and your aunts and uncles know about it we're all praying and we're doing all that we can. Uh, I know that the word cancer was used, but uh, obviously I was really young and didn't understand what that meant. And it was explained to me more as things progressed. But honestly, what more do you say to an 11, nine and three-year-old? I have an older sister who was 11 at the time. And then my little brother who was three. And I think he may not have been in the room at the time, but uh, you know, that's how, that's how the story all started. And obviously we know how that story ends because that's why I'm here talking about it now. And uh, I was probably only about six months in between when I found out and um, when she passed. And I actually dug up some of my old journal entries. I'm a big journaler. I love to write. And, um, you know, even at nine, I was kind of like documenting my life and and pouring it into a journal. So uh, I have this journal entry and it's dated January 14th, 1999. And it says, yesterday, my mom told my sister and me that she had cancer. I was scared and she said that it was rare because she's only 36. My aunts, uncles, cousins knew about two or one days before me. And my mom says to keep praying every day. I was crying a lot. My mom got holy water from Ireland where some people saw mother Catherine from my aunt Debbie and my uncle Pat. And she got healing wine from my cousin Lindsay and Danielle, and she got a medal from my cousin Aaron. My mom prays on a rosary every day now. So that was in January. And um, then there was just some other things about me playing with my cousins and, and going outside and doing, you know, the normal nine-year-old stuff. Um, and then not until there wasn't that many times that I wrote, but not until December 6th, um, 1999, 
I had wrote in here and I say, sorry, I took so long. I lost the keys and I couldn't find them. <laughs> Listen, I was really busy too. I don't know if I told you this, but ready, my mom, she died. I feel like I didn't get to say goodbye. So, you know, like reading that now as a 30 year old is, is really tough because here I was at nine feeling these emotions and writing in my journal and, and just pouring out to my diary. And, um, you know, I really do feel like I didn't get to say goodbye because as a kid, you don't fully grasp the magnitude of what's happening. And the last time I saw her, I certainly didn't think, you know, that would be the last time I was saying bye to her. And I obviously said bye, but I didn't believe that my mom would die. And I didn't really comprehend that that would be the final time that I got to have a conversation with her. So so now as an adult, trying to comprehend that is, is hard because I, I hurt for that little girl. And um, I, from what I can remember, I think I was at one of my aunt's house, houses um, when that happened, uh, when she passed. And I wanna say that I was running around and, and playing and I was told that my dad or, or someone was on the phone um, and I think our bodies just naturally block out so much of that, especially as a kid. So details, you know, other than from what I had written in my diaries, you know, those details are just super fuzzy. And um, I was told then and there that, you know, my mom didn't make it and that she had passed away and I remember sitting in their, in their kitchen at the table and I really wanted to call one of my teachers. Um, she had passed in June, which was over the summer and he was aware of the situation all year long. And um, I think I just wanted to really call him and tell him what had happened. And I don't know honestly how I, I moved on that day, but I guess as a kid, you have a greater capacity to be able to jump back and, and keep on going. And I don't remember if I was told that I really had to do anything, you know, it was just kind of, they, they told me the facts and, and um, it was just kind of like, go on, go on being a kid. And I was never asked to talk about it from what I can remember. I'm not sure if I was asked how I felt about it. Um, I really do feel like I was just hurt and sad. And um, I was just told to continue um, to move on with my day and my, my days after that. And um, at, at the funeral, uh, I remember sitting in the, in the back few rows and we were eating candy with, I wanna say one of my uncles, maybe licorice or something. And I think they were just trying to kind of like keep us happy and keep us distracted. Um, and, you know, I feel bad kind of like, saying but now you know just reading that that journal entry kind of like maybe this is why it was it was so close to my heart but I I remember fighting over the fact that I wanted to keep these rosaries that my that they were burying with my mom and um I had you know, gotten them either from communion or something. And maybe, you know, I had seen her praying with them and holding on to them. And I insisted that I needed them more than, more than she did. And, um, you know, maybe she had given them to me or, or they just meant a lot. And I didn't fully process uh, what was going on at the time, but, but I remember kind of like wanting those, those rosaries. And um, 
you know, did I you, hear, what was did that? You, did you get them? I believe so. I think okay. so. My dad actually has um, like a China closet in his house that he keeps a lot of her old stuff. And I believe they're in there now. So cool. it, yeah, it's nice to really like have those things to hold on to and um, keep as momentums of them and to kind of like honor, honor a space that's like dedicated for them. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, like I hear, I hear so many stories of what my mom was like and I'm so grateful to be able to have those stories and, um, you know, get to learn more about who she was. But I also get jealous because these people really got to experience so much more of who she was as a person. And again, like, you know, as a kid, I don't, I think we do live day by day and moment by moment. We don't, we don't really, yeah, we cuddle on them and we love them and we hold them, but we don't take those, I guess we don't have the, the thought process behind it to really kind of cherish those moments in the way that you do as an adult. And, um, you know, they really got to know her on, on a deeper level and be able to have conversations with her about life and what she was thinking. And I, I think that's what, what gets me like worked up now and, and going through so many moments in my life, you know, graduating high school, graduating college, like getting married and now having a daughter of my own, like those are the moments that like, I wish I could have those life conversations with her. And um, it's, it's really, really hard to remember moments from my childhood. And I can vividly remember standing in the hospital room with her um, when she was sick. And I believe my older sister was in there too. It might've just been the two of us. And she was talking to us and telling us things. And I don't remember what she said, but I remember being there. And I think, you know, that's kind of, I think there's a quote that goes along that lines. You know, you don't remember what somebody says, but you remember how they made you feel. And like, I, I always know that she loved us and I always felt loved. Um, so like those feelings are really, are really special to, to hold on to. Um, and, you know, I remember that um, she worked uh, as a like before and after school aide. And so we would go with her to school early and hang out with all the kids that were there. And then we'd also stay there after school until the last kid left. So she was there and she got to watch us play and hang out and, and whatnot while she worked. But, you know, again, as a kid, you're like more concerned about like what toy you're playing with or, or what's going on and things like that than like, you know, sitting down and really having a conversation with your mother. So those are the kind of memories that I get, I get to kind of hold on to and, you know, going to parks and such and meeting up with some of my aunts and cousins. Uh, I can remember like specific moments like that. And, um, you know, the moments that we shared together and, you know, like it makes me sad thinking that I can't remember specific conversations, but uh, I think just just holding on to those feelings is what what helps when I think about that. And um, I do remember the one time we were in the kitchen and she liked to drink tea and she was drinking tea in the kitchen and I tried it a few times and I just couldn't understand like why she liked it. <laughs> and I mean, now I love tea. I love tea and coffee. And I think it's one of those like acquired tastes that you get when you're older, but I tried to mimic her and, and drink the tea too, but I was like, why do you like this? <laughs> you know, and, and just being able to like go back and think more about 
you know, these memories, like as I was kind of like digging through uh, just my thoughts, I, I was able to kind of pull more memories from there. So I think, I think when we can kind of have time to journal and write and, and remember it, it, it really helps to have those memories that you're like, oh my God, or looking at pictures, I think too, definitely helps. And um, unfortunately, I don't have many pictures of us. And I, I feel like we do have VHS tapes somewhere, <laughs> but we've, we've considered converting them. And I think we just never converted them. And then it just was one of those things, like, like I said, it's been 20 years. So um, you know, it, it's like, well, we haven't had the video in 20 years. Like, do we need the video videos now? Um, but I know too, she was very, very crafty. She, she loved making our Halloween costumes, uh, like every year and she loved to paint and draw. So I think that when I, when I get a little crafty, I kind of feel her coming through in that way. And um, I specifically remember these candy bags that she made for us one year. And uh, she made them out of pillowcases and she ironed on some kind of like Halloween themed animals. They were either cats or bats maybe and some candy corn. And she used puffy paint and elastic on the top with these like big thick colored yellow and orange beads and um you know she was really crafty and and artistic and um she she draw like she would draw and paint and stuff so it was really neat and I think I think I still do have some of her like artwork that people have held on to so so that's really nice and I feel like that allows me to kind of like connect with who she was as a person when I see that stuff or, or remember those kinds of moments. And, um, you know, like just to touch on how awesome my mom was, like, I'll say this, like my mom, she used to give my grandmother flowers on her own birthday because she was just so grateful for like being brought into this world. And she thanked her own mom every year for giving her life. And I think that's just so beautiful. And that's something that my dad uh, kept up with after she had passed. I don't know entirely how long he had like done that for, or he might've done that every year since. And my grandmother has, has passed since then, but um, you know, like, that's just so special. Like who, who gives their own mom flowers on their, like maybe if it was your mom's birthday, like here, mom, here's flowers, it's your birthday. But, but you know, like it was her birthday and she gave her mother flowers. And, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's really cool when I hear stories like that because it makes me think, and you know, they're, they're probably telling me all the good stories and stuff anyway. I'm sure that there's, there's some bad stories, but you know, they called her, goodness. And I think that really speaks a lot to how she was as a person. And um, even though I was so young, it's really awesome when I get reminded of moments with her. And um, when I have people tell me things about her. And I think, I think that really helps me get closer and remember her. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's with my mom. And then, um, you know, so my dad had remarried some years after my mom had passed and, and that was really hard. And I really don't feel like I properly grieved after my mom. And, um, now this new woman was coming into our lives and, uh, to me, it felt like, you know, she was trying to take her place. I didn't really understand, you know, what a stepmom was or what the purpose was. And I had some friends maybe that had stepmoms, but it was more so 
their parents got divorced and then their dads got remarried. This was my mom had died and now my dad is bringing a new woman into our lives. And I really do feel bad that I never, you know, like initially gave her that like proper chance. I think the wall went up and I was like, you're not my mom. And as a teenager, I feel like that's a, that's a very typical response, you know, like when you're blending families in general, let alone like a, a little girl who, who lost her mom and was now, you know, being approached with, hi, I'm going to be your new mom. <laughs> and <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I remember like when my dad bought the ring to propose to her though, and I was super, super giddy and super excited. And I remember like squealing with my sister and getting so excited that, you know, he had found somebody that made him happy. And, you know, I, she really truly like made my dad like so happy. Like there was such a huge shift in his personality when she came around. And that's what, you know, I loved most about her. I, I loved that she loved my dad and, and, you know, I was, I was on board with that. So um, they'd hang out and they'd laugh so much. And he'd had this like dorky little smile on his face <laughs> around her. And we liked playing card games as a family and they'd get really into the games and, and play together and stuff. And it was really awesome to kind of like have that that family unit back. And I also got two new sisters in the process. So, you know, they would spend a lot of time like playing pool and having a few beers, blasting music down in the basement. And then now there was five kids. So my, my sister, my brother, and then now like two stepsisters and I, and we kind of created this whole new blended family. And, um, you know, my stepmom was definitely like a little quirky and she always liked to have fun and, and make fun of any moment. And um, we didn't always see like eye to eye, but like I said, like she made my dad happy and, and I could, I could get behind that. So there was, there was some moments. And I think in your teenage years, there's, there's always moments like that with, with any family dynamic. So um oh. How old were you when they got married? I think I was 14 or 15. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was, I was going into high school when we, when we all moved in together. Okay. So they started dating when I was in middle school. And then um, we moved and I switched from middle school to high school. So I was, I was just going into high school. So I'd say 14. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, you know, like I keep on saying, like, she was, she was, she was because um, my stepmom passed away also. Uh, So, you know, my dad had a wife who, who died from gallbladder cancer and now he remarried. They were together for, I believe it was seven years. Um, before she got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, And that was in 2012. And she passed away in July of 2013. And, you know, this was tough because I felt like I had done this already. I had been through this already. And And now it was happening again. And I had, you know, my two younger stepsisters, they're both younger than me. And I felt like I needed to be there for them and kind of show them, oh, I had done this already. Like, it's going to be okay. And, you know, that's just so tough. And that's such a that's such a hard thing to put on yourself and why I felt like I needed to put that pressure on me is, is 
beyond me. I don't know why I felt like I needed to be strong in that moment and, and be there for everybody. But I think that was, and probably still is just like my initial response to trauma. I just put up walls and I, I say, I need to help everybody else and, and then we'll all be okay. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was in college at the time when she got diagnosed. And so I was away from home a lot of the time during her treatments. Um, But I really feel like we got a lot closer during that time. And it's unfortunate that it kind of like, that it, that, I don't know how to say it, but it's, it's hard that like, because of what happened caused me to get closer with her and like understanding it now as an adult compared to when my mom was going through treatment as a child, I was really able to see the whole cycle happen again now as an adult. And I think that just kind of like hit a lot harder um, that time around. And uh, I was 22 and um, I finished out my semester and I came home, I believe I finished in May. And then um, I was home for those few months and I just, I tried to help out as much as I could. And uh, I remember driving her to some of her appointments. And this one time specifically, I took her to a treatment session. And when I was there, one of the nurses asked, you know, like how we know each other and, and things like that. And we got to talking and she introduced me as her daughter. And I felt, you know, it wasn't, this is my stepdaughter. It was, this is my daughter. And I felt really proud of that. And like, happy that you know like she was introducing me um in that way and (laughs) the nurse actually said oh yeah you guys look a lot alike (laughs) and she said oh yeah I could tell like that's so nice that you're bringing your mom here to treatment and we both just kind of looked at each other and we're like we won't tell her (laughs) we'll just let her think that that we look alike because we're actually related but there was no blood at all so that was a really you know like special moment and I remember kind of like um laying in bed with her like towards the end like when she was really you know having some rough days and we would just kind of like lay in bed together and and have those moments and so um you know like I'm I'm thankful that I got to spend those last few months with her in that way (laughs) And um, she went to hospice and we would go and visit her there. And she was very um, big on documenting some of her things on Facebook, like as she was going through treatments and keeping everybody updated and stuff like that. So I was reading through some of her old posts yesterday and I... I really feel like those kinds of things, like reading their words and seeing pictures of them helps us kind of remember who they were in those moments. And it helps us bring back memories that may have slipped our minds. So, you know, Eileen was just so fun and and full of so much enthusiasm and life. And she really always knew how to make a situation fun. And I do feel like she tried to live every moment to the max, at least as long as I had known her. And she would scream on roller coaster rides, like absolutely <laughs> yell at the top of her lungs, like almost to the point that it was embarrassing. Like we would kind of hold our heads down and cover our eyes. Like that's not our mom. That's not our mom. And she, she just, you know, she was having fun. We would be going up the hill and she'd already start screaming, (laughs) but like, that's just like the kind of person that she was. And she always liked to, 
scare people and do things like that. Um, and you know, like now me becoming a mom, I had my daughter a year and a half ago and, you know, like becoming a mom myself has really caused so much to shift. And I really miss both of them. Like I really miss them so much more now because I feel like they could have provided so much more insight on, on what it's like to be a mom and, and supply me with some extra added knowledge there. And um, I have a mother-in-law and she's great and everything, but I don't know what I was like as a kid. I hear stories of my husband and what he did as a kid and this and that and, and so much, you know, oh, I remember this and I remember that. And I asked my dad, like when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was like, well, what was it like when mom was pregnant or how long was she in the hospital? You know, how long was she in labor? Those kinds of questions. And he's like, I don't know, two hours. <laughs> I'm like, two hours, what? Like <laughs> from when it started, when it ended, like, how was it, you know? And, and it's those kinds of stories now that I really, I really wish I could have insight on. And, um, you know, it's also terrifying sometimes when I think about how young I was when I lost my mom and, you know, really what it must have been like for my mom at 36 to have to leave her children, like full on knowing I'm going to die and I'm leaving my children and my husband behind. <laughs> and as a mom now, I feel like that hits so much harder. And it's so tough to think about my daughter. And I want to be here for as long as I possibly can, obviously. But I can't promise her that. And um, I want to tell her, you know, mommy will always be here and mommy loves you so much. But knowing the other possibility, it hurts being like being able to truthfully tell her that. I don't know if I can, and I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can. And I hope that the same thing doesn't happen, but having it happen twice in my lifetime, I don't know what to expect. Like none of us know how long we have and, and, and what that holds. And, you know, I think it's so hard for those of us that have experienced death so closely to, you know, really understand the magnitude and the, the depth of it. And um, like the effect that it can have on others. And, you know, like that can, that can feel really lonely a lot of the times because not many people can say that their mother has died. And, you know, I think we have the ability to really perceive things a little differently than most can. And I don't know if that's a gift or, or a weakness or whatnot, but I really um, think like, you know, it, it does change how you see things. And, um, you know, I think some of like the biggest things that I have learned that have helped me get through some of my hardest days are really just reaching out to people. If you're feeling low, just do it. Who cares what they're going to think? Who cares what they're going to say? If you need to get something out, if you need to talk to somebody, do it and 
talk as much as possible or as much as you'd like and don't feel ashamed or afraid or like you're gonna make other people feel bad or uncomfortable and you're gonna bring down the mood of the conversation though like I can't possibly talk about this because I'm gonna ruin everybody's day you know what if it's gonna make you feel better you should do it always because when you keep that stuff in and when you bottle it down where is it going <laughs> and i really just feel like it has helped me so much to just you know even just right now like being able to share my story like this it's very therapeutic and like i said i i journal a lot i think journaling helps release your thoughts and put it into words and i encourage people to get curious and ask questions and say, why am I feeling this way? What's going on here? And are there other people that are feeling the same way that I am? And when you really get talking and when you really put your feelings out there, you realize so many more people are feeling that too. And you're going to be able to find those connections. And so, you know, I, I really think the group that you're providing and the community that surrounds this is just so special. And, um, you know, I think I find myself thinking more and more now about what she was like and, um, you know, what she would have done. And I was just so young and it's, it's really hard to remember those things, but like I said, just reaching out to people and, and finding a community can be so beneficial and helpful and, mm -hmm. and help tremendously. Mm -hmm. And sharing your, sharing your story and their story helps, it just helps to keep the memories alive. You know, like you said, yeah. you did some research and stuff, digging into things again to prepare for this. And then it just helps. And now you'll have a documentation of everything right. that you've shared today. Um, and those are the kind of things that, that help keep their memory alive and keep your connection to people that we've lost alive yeah. also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it really hasn't been until this past year that I realized how much stuff I had been kind of bottling up and suppressing over the years. And it sucked, but it's been so great to really kind of unfold and unpack what's going on in my head and what I have been feeling and maybe properly uh, didn't grieve initially, but I get to go back and, and relive those moments. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. one of my, one of, one of the reasons why I think that sharing our grief stories is so important is that I believe that there's a direct correlation between our highs and our lows. And when you keep, you know, numbing that grief that you need to feel, it's also numbing the height of your joy. Um, and I, I think, you know, they're directly related that once you allow yourself to feel that it's, it's part of the process of then being able to say, to also then feel, experience life again also. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's a part of life. Um, you know, uh, Kelsey was on last week and she said, you know, everybody experiences loss, but it is still one of the things that makes everyone so wholeheartedly uncomfortable. And why is it? Those are the only two guarantees in life, death and taxes. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> everyone will experience that. So, um, you know, I think we do need to find a better way to make it okay to share your stories without feeling guilty or that you're going to bring the vibe of the room down or all those things that we put on ourselves mm -hmm. um, when we do start to share. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, have I a couple. completely agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of questions to ask you. So first of all, I was interested to know 
Did you call your teacher that you wanted to call after your mom passed? I think I did. I remember sitting there on the phone and it's, it's so fuzzy. And even thinking, trying to recall 20 years ago what I was doing, but I do remember sitting there at the table talking on the phone with someone. I think he was a cancer survivor so we had kind of connected through that and he had also been my teacher throughout the year so you know he he knew kind of like what my mom was going through and and things like that and I don't know why that was my initial kind of like I have to call my teacher and I have to tell him um but I do believe that we connected and talked Hmm. I think that's cool I think that's really cool I wonder if you would be able to find him it'd be interesting to hear what his perspective is 20 years later of what you went through. Yeah. It might be interesting to know how, what his perception of it was because he was an adult and you were nine. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that you know this, but they do say, you know, when you experience trauma as a child that you do, you do block things out and you don't have as much memories as someone who hasn't endured a traumatic experience. So, um, I mean, I'm sure you've heard that before, but you said, you know, that you're, that our bodies block it it all out and that the details are really fuzzy. I think that's part of the natural defense mechanism. Yeah. And I don't, right. And I mean, like I said, I don't think anybody encouraged me not to do that. I think it was just like, oh, if she's going to block this out, then like, let's, let's just allow her to do that. And, you know, I, I don't know what else would have been the proper thing to do. Right. Um, I feel like I would tell a child to just, you know, be, be happy a kid. and yeah. be a kid. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think that's great advice, but now in the long run, you know, a lot of stuff comes up that I'm kind of like, why did I just ignore that? You know, like, why didn't I, I, I want to say that I cried at her funeral, but I can't remember crying. So if I did, that was blocked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also can't judge your behavior as a nine-year-old from the viewpoint of an adult mindset. You know, you're right. an adult now looking back at nine, we didn't, you didn't have the capacity to, right. you know, that whole frontal cortex thing wasn't even all developed yet. Right. And that's for a good reason, um, yeah. you know, uh, that you didn't allow yourself. I mean, you know, that's part of the thing about kids being kids. And one of the things that I don't like is that they, you know, kids are resilient. Well, yes, they are, but kids are also human beings with feelings and they do feel things. They do understand what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. well, I'm just going to share with you one thing that I've come up with because I am the last living person in my immediate family. So your whole thing, I I totally get you about the the mother-in-law going, Oh, well, you get that from your dad because he did that exact thing when he was a kid. And I'm like, well, what are they doing this me? Because right. nobody knows. Nobody yeah. knows what that is. Um, I have a few friends of my mom's that I'm going to do a Zoom interview with and I'm going to record it just because I'm like, you know, who knows when they're going to be gone also. Yeah. So I'm using this technology and this time when people are being more receptive to being interviewed or, or talked to over a, a digital device like this to try to gather some more information about my mom. Cause I literally have like two people left that I can talk to um, yeah. that knew her when we were, when we were kids. So just a little something to, you know, put into your pocket to think about it might be something that you would, yeah. you know, consider doing for people that, that knew you and, or your mom in a different, in a different way. Um, so can I ask you when when your stepmom Eileen got sick and you said you wanted to be there for your two younger stepsisters, how old were they at that time? So Lauren must have been, I guess, 18. And then Kate was maybe. 13 or 14. Okay. Okay. So they weren't like as young as you were when, when your mom was sick. Right. But they were still young. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Because 18 to 
you were 22, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. There's a significant amount of maturity in those four years of being in college and things like that. Um, so I don't know if you've ever given yourself credit for how much support you probably provided to Eileen because um, you were older and also you, you know, provided just that, that story of you guys like cuddling in bed together and stuff like that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and to think about it as a mom now that you can, you can look at that and think, you know, um, that she allowed herself to be that vulnerable with you. That's a, that's a, um, a kudos to you for making her feel that comfortable and that safe to be able to be vulnerable with you at that stage of her life. You know, what a blessing I'm sure that that was for her. Um, And even though you had nine years uh, with your mom, you had about seven with Eileen as your stepmom, but -hmm. think about, think about your mental maturity. Like you, you probably, you know, as, as far as for intellectual connection, you probably had more of an opportunity to do that with Eileen because you were older. Than- yeah, and, and that's what I said, you know, I really do feel bad that I kind of missed out on a lot of that connection because I had so much resistance. And, you know, I was, I was just so stubborn as a teenager and, insisted that like you're not my mom like you're not replacing her and um so you know we definitely had moments like sitting out on the back porch and talking and chatting and stuff and I was able to connect with her more than I than I could as a child with my mom but I put up such a wall and I was I was so resistant and not until she had gotten diagnosed that I really kind of snapped into a oh my gosh like why am I doing this mm-hmm. um but you were also I... older yeah. yeah 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 you were also older it'd be ironic if you go back to listen to some of the other interviews anyone who experienced this kind of stuff as a teenager we have all said we all went through a little period where we were you know not that nice and rebellious and and mm-hmm. the typical you know teenage girl shenanigans that happens yeah Um, but obviously Eileen felt close enough to you at the end that she really allowed you into some intimate moments so she obviously wasn't you know that that wasn't anything that scarred her for life because like as a mom now you know that and just put it in the back of your head for when you're a year and a half daughter Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was a teenager that you go oh yeah I remember this yeah Um, because I just think it's a pretty natural progression um, yeah that happens so but she obviously felt you know very um trusting with you and didn't hold that little teenager rebellion (laughs) against you in any way how is your dad doing? That's just one thing that kind of interests me. We sort of talk about it, but then um, he definitely has different ways of coping with things than than I would. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very much like, oh, let's talk about all of our feelings, and <laughs> and he's like, feelings, okay, all right. And I I think it's even like a different dynamic between like me. And my other siblings and him, I think like we all share a, a little different um, connection with him and in, in our own unique ways. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and just one of the other things that I, I made note of when you were saying that, you know, everybody, the stories that they share, memories of your mom are all the good stories um, and that they actually called her goodness. And I think, you know, isn't that ironic because and, and as humans, as we're interacting in our daily lives, the only stuff we focus is, focus on is the negative things. You know, there's that saying that you have to have 10 compliments to one criticism because all you focus on is the criticism. But it's a good thing to think about. Like when you think about legacies and how you're thinking about being a mom now to your daughter, you know, um, the good things are going to be what, you know, what people remember exactly. Yeah. Like you said, I may not remember what they said, but I'll remember how they made me feel. Mm-hmm. So that's just something I think that's, that's good to think about in our daily lives and the choices that we make that, you know, in the long run, it's, it's, those are the kind of memories that are going to stick and, 
are what people are going to remember about us, yeah. you know, after we're gone. So, so I do always try to end with a, if you have, um, you know, a piece of advice or something that worked for you that you wanted to share. I mean, and you did talk about reaching out to people and talking as much as possible. Is that, is that what you wanted to share? Or did you have something else? Yeah. And then also, you know, just don't feel ashamed or afraid. You know, there are more people out there than you think that feel this way too. And, you know, maybe when you unfold what your thoughts are and how you're feeling, it's going to open up a whole new conversation and they're going to share parts about themselves that you never knew. So I, I really feel like just being vulnerable and, and letting go of whatever thoughts you think that that person is going to have about you um, is huge. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree, 100%. And that's why we're here doing yeah. what we're doing. So tell people also, you have a, a passion um, that you're following in your life. Tell people about what you're doing and where they can find you. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Entering Motherhood. And um, I started this this year back in January. Um, Basically, you know, when I became a mom, a lot of stuff shifted and a lot of thoughts started spinning and coming into my head. And I just felt really compelled to kind of build a community of women that are are going through this initial postpartum period who are looking for extra support. And we have a bunch of different people come on the show and just talk about little things that you can do during that time period as becoming a mother. And then, you know, obviously I have a little unique twist on it all being a, a motherless daughter mother I guess if you want to add to all of that, but um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at um, entering motherhood or Sarah Marie Bilger. And then uh, my website is enteringmotherhood.com. And then you can also search for the podcast wherever, wherever you're listening to this one, you should, you should be able to find it. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll make sure that I put all that in the show notes too. So that if people are driving, you know, don't, don't try to write and drive. I will put it in the show notes. So later you can find it uh, when people are interested in checking out what you're doing. So awesome. yeah. So thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, for being vulnerable. And, you know, um, your story is unique to, for, for having lost, you know, two moms and you're only 30. So, uh, you know, blessings to you as you are continuing your journey of entering motherhood. And uh, thank you for, for being willing to share. Yeah, thank you. Yep. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.